Let's see uh, what the Lord has for you and I. I know that uh, just reflecting on the day and just uh, the encouragement that i like to share with you guys is, is what the Lord is doing. And it took me uh, a long time to recognize that no matter what is going on, the Lord is in it. And I know some of you knew that way, way before I did. I guess I knew it, but I just didn't want to acknowledge because there's this word love. And, and I always equate love with giving me the things that I need that I want. And that's not true. He loves us so much and he's so sovereign until he'll withhold the things that we think we want, that we think that we need. And I'm just so thankful for that today, especially. And it, time doesn't allow me to share. And even if I did, it would sound like I was boasting because the Lord is so good. And those things that just seem like they're out of place and all of a sudden he'll take it and bring it around. All of a sudden it, everything knits together. And that's the goodness of God. So uh, that's what I'd like to share with you guys tonight. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just... Uh, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for sisters and brothers to dwell together in unity. And I'm just so thankful for this place that you've given us, this spiritual hospital that you've allowed us to be a part of, Father. And I just, uh, I just want to just share what you've given me uh, to uh, share with my sisters and brothers and pray that they be encouraged. And I, I do pray here, and I will again, if there's anyone here tonight either in this building or in the sound of my voice, who don't yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that this will be the day of salvation. So I pray that they will come running, asking, what must I do to be saved? And, and it's just a wonderful place to be. And we spend so many years running away from the Lord and, and running to him when we need things and with a cup, and he would fill that cup. And years later to learn that if we came to him with a bucket, he would fill that as well. So we thank you, Father, for what you're doing, and we know you're going to do greater things. So have your way in this place tonight, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, tonight, uh, some of you were expecting something else, another book. But uh, let's go to uh, Psalm 51. Psalms 51. And uh, I titled this, A Call for Repentance. And what we'll talk about tonight is, uh, uh, in this Psalm of David, uh, is when Nathan the prophet went to David after David had gone into uh, Bathsheba. And a lot of us know the story, so I won't, a lot of us know the account, not a story. A lot of us know the account of that, so I won't, I won't dig into that right now. But David broke two of God's commandments. He broke the seventh commandment that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And David did that. He did commit adultery with Bathsheba. He also broke the sixth commandment and says, thou shalt not kill. David didn't kill directly, but he arranged for Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, to be put in the front of the, the, <clears throat> the battle that he might be killed. This was a cold-blooded act on the part of David because Uriah was one of David's mighty men and one of his most faithful followers, or he would have never gone into the front of the battle at David's command. On the surface, 
it looked as if David uh, had gotten away with it. And, and we're, we're going to learn here that we never get away with anything. God's always watching. God's always got a plan for what we're doing, why we're doing it, where we're doing it, to whom we're doing it. He's always got that plan. On the surface, it looked like David had gotten away with it. David was God's man, and David was not going to get away with it, nor are we. During the time when David kept quiet, he was a tormented man. He told us in Psalm 32 uh, what really went on in his heart. You don't have to go there. I'll read it. Psalm uh, 32 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the, way, all the day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. In my iniquity, I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Six, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from, out, from trouble. You shall surround, the, surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And for those who, who think that David was just going to pull this off because he was indeed the king and he didn't have a, a, a responsibility to, uh, to commit the truth to anyone but God. So David is, has, has done this thing, uh, transgressions, and we'll talk about transgressions. We'll talk about iniquity. As we go along, but just keep in mind how the Lord works. He tells us that he is not a, he has no, no personal people. He's not a respecter of people, of anyone. And David is no exception. And we have a tendency to think that because David was king and, and we have these people on high levels today that we respect, that there's some things that go unsaid and some things that are said, but there was no exception. God is not a respect of person. Uh, and then, then God sent the prophet um, to David demanding an audience regarding an urgent matter. And he lets us understand that. And uh, I'm going to read a couple more verses, and they may be lengthy for tonight. But it's necessary that we try and understand where David's heart was 
A lot of us don't. We read David late with Bathsheba and he sent Uriah to the front line. Uriah was killed. And that was the end of the story. Far from it. David was tormented. And when we commit iniquity, when we commit these, these transgressions, God does the same thing for us. We may not always realize it, but you can't get away. You can't hide from God. Where shall I go from his presence? If I go up to heaven, he's there. If I make my bed here, he's there. He's there. He sees all. He is omnipresent. We can't hide anything. And the other part of that is all sin leads to death. All, no exceptions. And so we think that, well, God forgave David and all was well. On the contrary, God did forgive him. But as we read these uh, two verses, we're going to see where God, God forgives, but no sin goes unpunished. What David did, David continued to live, but there were consequences to David's actions. There are consequences to our actions. And if we do things that are out of the will of God, that are opposed to the word of God, there's a price to pay. And you may not recognize that right away because he's going to do some things. He's going to show you maybe the the natural consequences of your area of sin. And that's all of us. We all have it. We all have that area of sin, even though we're grounded. We're following Christ. We're following his will. We're following his word. We're following his way. We still are responsible for our actions. And as we go through this, I'm going to dig in a little bit more so that this is going to be personal for me and for you. And I just want you to take it as that. When I get to teach, I like to apply life applications to everything that we do because this wasn't just David in that time. This is us today. And right now, some of us are possibly out of God's will. Uh, Can't afford to be a judge, but I know that he tells us that we are men, we're people of like passion. And I know that some of you are struggling with the same things that I struggle with. I know it. Some of you are struggling with other things that may not be what I'm struggling with, but it doesn't matter. We can't quantify sin. Well, at least I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. That's irrelevant. God doesn't look at it that way. When he says all sin, he means all sin. There's no little sin. There's no big sin. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. Second uh, Samuel 12, 1 through 6 says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, he said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, bought, and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man 
who refused to take from the, his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the uh, wayfaring man who had come, and had to come to him. And he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing, surely, uh, this surely, shall surely die. <clears throat> and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David's responding to someone else besides him. Nathan is pointing directly at David. And David doesn't see his fault in this. He's using a, 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 um, a par- he's speaking in parable, in a parable. And unfortunately, Dave, at this point, David is too blind to, to see that, that Nathan is speaking to him. He'll realize that David had three ways to respond to Nathan. Nathan basically had said, Sans, uh, Sam's boy, David, you've done this thing. And you need to repent. And at that point, David did not see that Nathan was speaking directly to him from God. David had three ways to respond to Nathan. He could deny the charge. After all, he is the king. He could have his guards take Nathan out and execute him as the king. Or David would admit the charge, which he did. David made confession of his sin. And and no one dares to point the finger at the king, but Nathan did, and David confessed. David's confession is in 2 Samuel 12, 10 through 14. It says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Basically, David, you've done this awful thing. You've committed this sin, this transgression. So from this point, there's going to be murder. There's going to be death in your lineage. And there was, if, if we go back and read that account, uh, some of us may know it already, you will see that there was never a time of peace from that point on. So this is the case where God said, you've done this, and there are going to be natural consequences for your sin. And that's what he did. Because you have uh, despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. That means there will be death, there will be violence, there will be all these things, there will be destruction in your family from this day forward. No sin goes unpunished, regardless. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to the, your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wife in the sight of this son. Mm. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this This deed you have done, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord in blasphemy. Unpardonable sin. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Who wants to hear that? 
And this is why we have to be so careful about the things that we allow ourselves to become part of. There's, there's consequences to that. And he's telling David, the child also has been, been born to you shall surely die. And the Lord's promise is a yea and amen. He doesn't go back on it. You know what? After all, I think David should, uh, I should pardon David and he shouldn't have to suffer for his iniquities, his transgressions. That's not how the Lord loves. He, he, he gives us because he loves us. He takes away from us because he loves us. And that's it. It's love. And we have a tendency, as I just have said before, I tend to equate love with just making me happy, giving me the things that I want. On the contrary, my friends, God is sovereign. He blesses us because he loves us. He chastens us because he loves us. It's the same God, the same heart. We have to be conscious of that. We need to be conscious of that. That there will be, no matter what, however long you run away from what you've done, however you keep hiding secretly what you're doing, God knows. And he's never going to just say, okay, that's it. You're okay. I'm going to let you go with that. He can't. God hates sin. And there are consequences. Verse 1. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. David called his sins transgressions. To transgress is to step over the boundaries of God. God has put up certain physical laws. God has put up certain moral laws. God has put up certain spiritual laws. Anytime we attempt to step over any of these, he'll have to suffer the consequences. To this is always called transgression. Stepping over the line. And we do that. We do that a lot. And, and sometimes consciously, subconsciously, we do these things that, that always like the visual of being able to videotape ourselves for a day and then sit down that night and watch it. Do you believe what you're seeing? I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. And that's, that's a human thing. And we do that. And again, a verse that I... I like to quote so often, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Well, I would never do that. You don't know what you're capable of doing. Under the wrong circumstances, there are things that, that we see and we say, not me, I would never do that. I would never hurt anybody. I would never uh, create, uh, do these things that, that I see someone else doing. Be careful, my friends. Deceitfully wicked, who can know it? What am I capable of? If I were being attacked, would I just turn the other cheek and run away? It's easy for us to sit here now and say, well, of course. But when the rubber meets the road, where's your heart going to go? You don't know. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David also called his sin iniquity. Iniquity means that which is just plain wrong. We all do things that are just plain wrong. 
Simple as that. You can't excuse it. You can't offer an apology for it. And you can't condone it. None of us come up to the standard of God. Who are you measuring yourself against? At least I'm not as bad as her or him. We always measure ourselves down. We always compare ourselves down. One wrong down. Compare ourselves up. Lord, I want to have a heart like you. Lord, I want to be like you. That should be our mindset. But we don't do that. And this is why some of us are so fond of the law. Because it gives us something to measure ourselves against. And you have the opportunity to measure yourself against other people, other things, and say, at least I'm better than that. Measure up. Measure up. God is the standard, the one and only standard, the only high and lofty one. The only. There is none other. So when we measure ourselves, measure up. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So true, all, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. The king admits that he was wrong. Did he have to? No. Rumor has it that it's good to be the king. But there are times when it's just a man, it's just a woman who has a heart but it's not necessarily glorifying God and what they do and say. And sometimes uh, their motive is bad. A lot of times they're driven by filthy lucre, money. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Only one can do that. Only one. When we're judging, we usually have an ulterior motive. Don't judge. If you can avoid it, don't judge. Now, it does tell us that we can't afford to be a judge, but we can't afford to be fruit inspectors. So look around. If you read the word of God enough, if you study the word of God enough, you will know what is godly and what isn't. You can't always carry it out or play it out, but you will, at least you'll know. And now you have an opportunity to aim for the mark. When you miss that mark, that's called sin. Continue to aim for the mark. What would Jesus do? It's a, it's a cliche, but it applies even more so today than it has in the past. What would Jesus do? And that's a good way to measure yourself. And evil in this context means that which is actually wrong. The Bible is still clear, even today, on what is right and what is wrong. David admitted that he was wrong. We need to admit when we're wrong. We need to seek the Lord's heart for everything that we do, everything that we say. We don't, but we should. And be honest with yourself. If you're honest, the Lord will honor that. If you're not, there will be consequences. 
Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David, as well as the rest of us, came into the world with a sin nature. There are some things that are going to happen to you on a constant basis, regular basis, as long as you're on this side. There are things that are just going to happen. You're wrapped in sin, and we're going to stumble. But God doesn't look at stumbling as failure. He looks at, at that as refusing to get up again. So no matter what's happening in your life, there's always hope. And God has given us a future and a hope in everything. Everything. No matter, you could be the, you could over, surpass uh, Paul in being the chief of sinners. But, but you still got a chance. You might say, well, Paul, I, I, I put you out of business now. I'm the chief of sinners. Possibly. But just there's still hope for every single one of us. I don't care how deep your iniquities are. I don't care how deep your transgressions are. I don't care how deep that evil heart is. God can raise you up. Verse five, behold, I, okay, uh, verse six, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. God is not interested in what you have been on the, in, on the outside. It is possible, possible, to be baptized and be nothing more than a baptized sinner. Well, I'm baptized, so I'm saved. Uh, no, there's no correlation between the two. I'm baptized because I belong to a church. I attend church. That is all exterior. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Every brother is not a brother. Every sister is not a sister, mister. We have to be very careful when we, we judge people. There are people who sit right here every Sunday morning and have no interest in the word, the will, and the way of God. And not casting judgment, not just Carrie Chapel of Rochester, but all over the world. There are people who sit there day. Why do they come to church? They come to church out of tradition. They come to church because it's time, it's, a, it's an opportunity for them to socialize with others. They come to church. Some people come to church, be, this particular one, because there's a meal. I, you know, we laugh, but it's, it's, so, it's so true. So true. And, and why? why? Why do you come? And I like to think that everyone here and everyone who's listening knows the Lord. But it's just not, not the case. And, and it's so difficult for some of us because we know the benefit of knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know and we want to share that with everybody. And it gets frustrating for those of us who are ministering, especially to a family member. A prophet is without honor in his own home. And that's very, very, very difficult when you understand what that really means. You know, you've got a family that says, yeah, yeah, well, that works for you, but eh, I don't think, that doesn't, just doesn't work for me. I tried it back in uh, 1998, and it just, it didn't work out. So, we have to know him. You can still be lost. God says he desires truth on the inside, your inward parts. When we read about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, we laugh 
They think just by having a large phylactery that makes them holier. They think by having longer tassels that makes them holy. And that's what they, they try and teach others. If you do these outward things, well, I don't want to pray at home. I want to pray where people can see me. It's the wrong heart. And it's okay to pray at home. It's okay to pray in public. But God wants you to be sincere in your prayers. He wants you to be sincere. And that word sincerity, for those who haven't heard it, it means uh, when, when the, 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 the people were selling their wear on the street and they had a vase or vase and it, it, it broke, they would put the piece back in and put a little wax over it and then finish it off or repaint it or whatever they had to do. But what was happened when that vase was subjected to the heat or light, it showed through. So that's the same way with us. We need to um, practice uh, transparency. We need to practice intimacy because if we're not, then we're just like that vase that's been waxed over and then painted over. And when we're supposed to light, when we're supposed to heat, there it goes. So who are you fooling? But that was a practice in that time. God desires truth on the inside. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now what I found interesting as I was reading this, hyssop is a plant that grows in moist environments. And as a result of that moisture, hyssop creates penicillin, what we call penicillin. And the irony is penicillin cures a lot of things, but it doesn't cure sin. So the hyssop is, is, is tied directly to penicillin, which is a medicine for a lot of things. But again, it doesn't touch sin, doesn't cure it. Although David confessed his sin, it was God who made the first step towards David's forgiveness and cleansing. God took the first step when he sent Nathan. This is the application of the death of Christ to the life. God forgives because his son paid the penalty. It is finished. Paid in full. His son paid the penalty. Verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Nine, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David needed a spot remover. He needs something to remove the spots. We need a spot remover. And in order for it to be white as snow, that can only be done through our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So he is that spot remover. He will blot out all our iniquities, all. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This word, this word for create here is the same word as in Genesis 1.1, which says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And that word in the Greek is bara, which means out of nothing. So to read it, in layman's term, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth out of nothing. David said, I need a new heart. 
created me a new heart. God wants to give you, God wants to give me a new heart. Now, as I was reading this, I just thought about a song that changed my heart, oh God. And how are you, what context are you putting that in? Just take this old heart, this old evil heart, and just move some things around and give me a new heart. Give me a different heart. But God's saying, I want a new heart. He wants us to have a new heart. And that's what David is asking for. Give me a new heart. Create in me a new heart. Verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. God will never leave us. I would never leave you nor forsake you. God can't lie. And there are times we feel like he's given up on us because we're going through hard times. We're going through some difficulties in our lives. God, where are you? Are you still with me? And the answer is a, a profound yes. I'm always with you until the end of the earth. You can grieve God. You can quench God. But you can never grieve him away or quench him away from you. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit can be inoperative in a Christian life. And the answer is yes. There are times when our hearts are not with God. We're, on, we're lukewarm sometimes. You know, we, we trust him. Sometimes we don't. And if that's the case, then you don't trust him. Trust is full time. There's no part time trust. There's no such thing as that. So either you trust God or you don't. In this case, he wants you to trust him. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit can be inoperative in a Christian's life, and that is what happened to David. He was asking that the Spirit of God may continue to work in his life. David made some mistakes. We make mistakes. But God stays with us. He's with us. He's with us at all times. All times. And just because you're not getting what you want, you're not getting results to the issue that you have, that doesn't mean he's gone away. And sometimes he's still with us when we leave him. And, and I can say amen to that. You know, I've witnessed it. I've lived it. Not something that I'm proud of. But I did it. I turned away. And I told you guys, those who've heard me, whenever I get to talk, seven years. See you, God. I'm good. Thanks anyways. And I meant it. But he stuck with me. He just kept on cleaning up the messes that I was leaving in my wake. And he still does that even today. Not to that extent, I pray. But he's still there. He's still working it out. David is asking the Spirit of God to continue to work in his life. And I do the same. I ask that the Spirit of God will continue to work in my life. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom... You were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed. You are sealed. So you don't have to be concerned about whether you're going to lose your salvation. No, you cannot lose your salvation. This heart does become inoperative at time, but you do not lose your salvation. You can walk away from him and create and, and, uh, and 
create blasphemy. But that doesn't mean an instant death. God's going to give you an opportunity to, to repent. And that's what this is all about, repentance. Repentance, repent. David did not lose his salvation. He lost joy, joy of his salvation, and he wanted communion with God restored. And that's what I pray for. I pray that my communion with God will be restored. And I know that I haven't lost my salvation, but sometimes we lose the joy of salvation. We want things to go our way, and as a result, we get off track with where God wants us to be. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Is that the desire of our heart? I want to teach transgressors, transgressors, the God's way. And I want sinners, and I want to see sinners converted to him. That's the desire of my heart, and that's what he's called me to. And I try and live it out the best of what he imputes in me. I want to see everyone saved. I don't have favorites. Love thy neighbor. That's what he called me to do. That's what he called you to do. And it's a challenge. And, you know, is it really possible to love everybody? You answer that for yourself. Is it really possible to love everybody? Don't look around now. That's, you know, we don't want to be pointing fingers at anybody. Is it possible? Hmm. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. This is David talking to, to the Lord, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. There's joy in the house of the Lord. I won't be quiet. I was quiet for years. I don't want to be quiet anymore because he's given me a new heart. He's given me a love for people. He's given me a love for righteousness. And I know the goodness of it, and I love to share it. I don't always do that. Sometimes I'll get in line with the way the world is, is guiding me. I follow the path that the world has set in front of me. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. David wanted all of this for one purpose and one purpose alone. Verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not, you do not delight in the burnt offering. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Verse 18, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. And again, in layman's terms, and, and uh, just do what's right. Do what's right. Do the right thing. Do things God's way. Is it easy? No, it's not. It's possible. He says all things are possible, and I believe him. It's just a matter of praying for boldness. 
praying that he will instill that in you, praying that he would impute in you a godly spirit so that you will never, ever, ever be ashamed of the gospel. And there are times when a lot of us struggle with that. Some of you guys working in an environment where it's not easy to share the Lord with your coworkers or your friends. Not easy, but possible. 19, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings, and they shall offer bulls on your altar. David wanted to praise God again. He wanted to please God. Do you praise him? Do you have a desire to please him? And if your answer is sometimes, that's a definite no. There's no part-time Christian. There's no secret service Christian. Doesn't exist. All in all, that's what God wants from us. Is that our heart? Praise him. Have a desire to please him. Sin is that which is complicated. It is goodness that is simple. And I know that may be uh, a complex statement to some of you. But when you really think about it. Sin is complicated. We commit it and we try and hide it. We try and cover it up. We try and, and, and talk our way out of it. Make excuses for our area of sin. Why are you doing that, brother? Well, I'm just a man. Okay. Why are you doing that, sister? I'm not really sure. It's just, I just lost my mind. I lost my head. No excuses. Be responsible for your actions. Sin is complicated. Goodness is simple. When was the last time you wept over your sins? Think about it. When was the last time you wept over your sins? When God is working in your life and you know it. There's a time in your life when you're having a dry season. There's a reason for it, my friends. There's a time when you're overwhelmed by misery. It just seems like everything is falling apart. There's a reason for that, my friends. When you prayed for something, that you really, really want, and God doesn't deliver. There's a reason for that, my sisters, my brothers. He knows your needs. He knows your wants. Goodness is simple. When was the last time you wept over your sins? When was the last time you cried out the night because of your failures? Lord, I have sinned. Please help, or just, Lord, help. He's there. He's waiting. He wants to hear from you. He knows what you're going through. He's not surprised. He wants to deliver you. Will you let him? Cry out in the night because of your failures. There is forgiveness with God. But there needs to be a confession on our part. He will forgive. He's faithful to forgive. 
He wants to communicate with us, and that's where things go, go wrong. We don't. We were like David. We try and hold it. We try and suppress our feelings. We try and protect our, our reputation. There needs to be confession on our part. Well, brother, how do I know that I'm in the will of God? Well, let's start off with the fact that you're still living and breathing. That's an indicator. There's work to be done. Look around us. The fields are white and the workers are very few. Look around. See the need. See that there are others. There are others besides yourself that need the love of God. There are a lot of people who attend this spiritual hospital who are dying spiritually, financially, morally, ethically. They're dying. And they just have a real desire to have someone just come up to them and pray with them, pray for them. Someone cares about me. That means a lot. There are a lot of hurting people and, and there may be some here tonight who are hurting. How would we know? Sometimes the trust hasn't been built up so that we can talk to each other, that I can tell you what's going on. Brother, can I pray with you? Sure, what's going on? There has to be a trust because some of us take the prayer and make it into a folder for the newspaper or for a Facebook. It's a tragedy. So the trust is gone. So how do I ask you to pray with me or pray for me when I can't trust you? We need to be honest. We need to have a heart like God. That's what he's calling us to. Will you do it? And when we say that, um, we say, well, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to pray with you right now. I'll pray with you at home. Think about why did God put on your heart, on that person's heart to come to you and ask for prayer? Right then, right there. Why is that? Say, well, I got a lot of things to do. So what you're saying is, Praying with or for my sister and our brother is not a priority. I'll get around to that when it's more convenient for me. So who's that about now? Who's that point to? Love your neighbor. His mercies are new every morning. He woke up this morning and there was these little sprinkles of mercy on your pillow. Wake up. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another shot at life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get it right this time. Don't take it for granted because he didn't have to do that. Well, you know, I'm still young. I got plenty of time. I want to have some fun. And then I give my heart to God. He has not guaranteed anyone the next hour. He has not guaranteed anyone the next day, the next month, the next year. He has not guaranteed you anything. A worldly saying, carpe diem, seize the day. 
because we don't know. We don't know who's going to, if any one of us is going to be standing tomorrow. We just assume that we'll wake up tomorrow and be seen. It's possible that rather than being seen, you may be viewed. Praise him. Great is his faithfulness. Great. Wonderful God, loving God, caring God, sharing God. He wants the best for each and every one of us, regardless of where we are. Don't make the mistake of God wants to use your strength. That's not usually the case. He wants to use your weakness so he can be strong, so he will get the glory for what we do or don't do. There are things that we need to step up and do, or there are things that we need to draw back and allow God to do it. He's in everything. He's in every word. He's in every thought. He's in every heartbeat. Let's acknowledge that. Sarah, if you come up, we're going to do communion tonight. Great is his faithfulness, my friends. He's a loving God. He's a wonderful God. And he's, uh, he's prepared a place for us. And I just pray that we will all make it home. And not just us, but our friends, our families, our neighbor. It's so important that we focus on that because that's where he wants us to be. And too often we are so consumed with ourselves that we don't necessarily follow what he's asking us to do. So let's be conscious of the fact that God wants to do great things to each and every one of us. And I pray that would be desired by heart to honor him, to glorify him in everything. Everything, no exceptions. The things that we consider little, the things that we consider big, God wants to work it out. He's always there. As Sarah sings, come on up, get the uh, elements and we'll do them all together. We'll all do it together. Please. Psalm 51 uh, verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And one of the things that I think of often um, Anytime I get to, to share the word with my sisters and brothers and in addition to communion is these very words. It says, I am the bread of life. What do you need? What is your need? Not your wants. What is your need? Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But he knows our needs. And I believe 
and right from the center of my heart that he's supplying everything that we need. And I, some of you probably don't agree with that, but I just challenge you to go back and examine and try and define the difference between want and need. He's given us so much. He's done so much in our lives. And when I read the other side that says, do this in memories of me, I ask myself, is it possible that we can forget God? Is that possible? If rhetorical question, just think about it. It is possible. And when, when I was studying for this particular message tonight, when it said that you can be a Christian, but your heart can be inoperative. So basically, you're going through the motions. Basically, you're faking it, perhaps. Will you forget him? Can you forget him? Again, you answer that question for yourself. And as we take these elements, just be mindful of the fact that what David went through He's not the only one. David committed transgressions. David committed iniquity. David committed evil. Are we any different in that respect? And I'm going to just answer for you, give a resounding, big fat, no. We are just as capable of doing what David did under the wrong circumstances. So when God, um, Jesus broke the bread, it was just a reminder of, don't forget me. Don't forget what I've done. Don't forget who I am. And once you taste and see that he is good, how do you go away from that? And it's one of the things that I'm waiting to ask him. What, go, what, what kind of heart tastes and see that he is good yet turn away? I found that you know, fellowshipping with him, having a personal relationship with him, I found there's nothing better. Nothing. And I pray that everyone here tonight who does not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, let this be the night. Asking, what must I do to be saved? He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And he has a plan for us. So as we take the elements, remember, he just wants us to remember him. That's why we do this. Every once in a while, that inoperative heart needs something to bring it back to him. And this is just one of those things. So let's partake. So my sisters, my brothers, all I ask you to take with you tonight take away from here is the fact that 
You're going to be bold in the gospel. You're not going to be ashamed of anyone, anywhere, at any time. He's going to, if you allow him, he will impute so much love into you that it's going to spill out and give you an opportunity to share with others. He will do that. So continue to give him the glory for everything. Heavenly Father, thank you again for what you've done tonight, what you've taught me, what you've taught my sisters and my brothers, what you've taught us. And I pray that that ears and hearts will open to receive what you have for us, Father. And I know there were some tonight, this is what they needed to hear, and I'm one of those. This is what I needed to hear tonight, Father, uh, to put emphasis on repentance. There are things in my life that uh, shouldn't be there. There are things in the lives of my sisters and brothers that shouldn't be there. And I know you want better for us, Father. You don't want to see us struggle. You want us to be able to come to you, Father, with all of our thoughts. To be open, to be transparent, to trust you. That you have our best interests at heart. So I pray, Father, that if we don't know that, that we would learn that, Father. And we would not just learn it. We would not just be hearers of that, but doers also. So have your way in our lives, Father. Give us traveling mercies as we go home and protect my sisters and brothers on all sides, Father, surrounded with that ring of fire. And I pray that as you ride home with them, that you would be there waiting to welcome them back home again, Father. Please have your way in each and every one of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out. Good to see you.